want to tell you a story today of a frustrated man who works for God. It has a happy ending, but I think it really is going to be something really important as we get ready, um, as we are going through some time, um, some very turbulent times here in our country and around the world. Uh, Corey Timboon said these powerful words. He says, when a train goes through a tunnel, it gets dark and it gets dark. She said, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. She says, you still, you sit still and trust the engineer. When it goes through the dark tunnel, don't jump off, sit still and trust the engineer. I want us today to just sit still wherever you're at and trust the engineer because we are going through a dark tunnel. And I believe that God is going to speak to you today and even speak to us as a country today. And I think God has an answer for all that we're facing today. Let's pray. Father, even as we just sang, great is your faithfulness. We're going to see how important those words are in just a few moments as we begin to celebrate your character. Help us as we as a people and as a nation are going through a dark tunnel. Help us to sit still and trust you as the engineer in Jesus' name, amen. You know, you can't have a relationship with really without any fights, but, but you can make your relationship really worth the fight. And that's really the challenge that we're going through today. And even as the man I'm gonna to talk to you about in just a few moments, that he's having a fight in a relationship. And relationships, keep this in mind, will take work but it's not work during your free time. It's really work all of the time. Because I've learned this, is that all relationships will go through that hell, that hellish moment. But here's what I began to realize. Real relationships will get through those moments. It's not just go through it, but get through it. And that's why one of the hardest decisions you'll face in your life with relationship is really choosing whether to walk away or really to stay and try harder. And this is such an important part because here every relationship has its problems and what makes it strong is that we're willing to stay in it and stay with it even when it's going really bad. But here, here's the big problem. Here's the issue that I want to speak to today that I think it really affects all of us. And if you're not going through this now, we will all go through this at some point in our life. What do you do when the relationship that's giving you problems, in a sense, is with God. That, that the, the complexity, the, 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 the part that you're going, the mystery of it, you're going, God, I don't understand. In fact, I'm really angry with you right now with how you're approaching what we're going through. What, what do you do when you feel God has let you down? This is such an important part. I was a few, um, a few months ago, I was driving and saw a car that brought back memories some decades ago because it was a car that I used to drive when I first started in ministry. When I first started, I wasn't making a lot of money and it wasn't uh, it barely making it in a sense. And I remember someone gave me a car and this is gonna date me, but it was a, the car that I saw that reminded me of the car that I drove. It was a Dodge K car. This is when Lee Iacocca ran Chrysler. Dodge K car. It was a station wagon with the paneling on the side and yellow. This car was so beat up. It was so bad. All the red lights were going on the dashboard that I literally, I didn't have money to fix it. So I took a piece of paper and taped it over the dashboard 
because I couldn't afford to fix it and just said, I'm just going to drive it until it goes down. And I remember driving that vehicle, trying to start a church, pastor a church, um, doing everything in this church, going, God, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm doing whatever I can. I'm telling people about Jesus. And I'll never forget the Sunday that one of, one of a precious young man who worked at a hospital said, hey, our hospital was doing a raffle. Everybody bought a dollar ticket and I won. And this young man, precious young man, literally won a brand new Ford F-150 pickup truck. And I thought to myself, I'm going, I cannot believe this. I said, here I, here I am, God. This is what I thought. I'm going, I'm praying I'm reading the Bible. I'm preaching. I'm in the ministry. Why don't I get the truck? Why don't I win the raffle? And I, I, I began to realize something that a very special mentor and spiritual father to me, Dr. R.T. Kendall said. He said these words. He says, Tim, he said, when you think of Romans 12, 15, and when it says celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve, he said part two is much easier than part one. Think about that. What he was saying was, is that when people are going through a difficult time, it's easy to weep with those who weep, weep with those who grieve. He said, but what the challenge is, is celebrating with those who celebrate. Because something inside of me said, I can help you, Roger, um, when you're going through a difficult time. I can weep when you're going through a difficult moment. But when you're celebrating, or in a sense, when God is blessing you, when I think he should be blessing me, this is really becoming confusing to me. This is what's even causing stress in, in my relationship with God. But, but what is crazy is this. I don't mind God blessing. This is what I was going through. I didn't mind God blessing other Christians. I don't even mind God blessing other believers. But the battle I was going on in my heart was, but don't bless them more than me when you know that I need stuff. When you know, how, how think about this. How silly is that? When you're faced with those moments and that relationship with God, then all of a sudden finds that, that fight that's beginning to go on in it. And we are facing, even today when I'm thinking about this, because I was really mad at God going, this is what I, I, I'm, I've asked you for this and nothing happened. And we're going through that individually. We're going through this as a city. We're going through this as a country. We're, we're asking God to do things. We're asking God and saying, do you see what's going on here? And now we're faced with pandemics and civil unrest. And we're asking the question, where is God? I've asked you to come. I've asked you to do something. I've asked you to show, to, to allow us to see righteousness take place in our land. Anyone, anyone who has walked with God for any length of time knows what it's like to go, God, you're confusing to me now. I've watched it. I've watched it with tragic accidents. I've watched it with doctor's reports, house fires, and miscarriages loss of business, or even a job. I was speaking in a Midwest city not too long, I mean, a few years ago, and I remember the pastor who picked me up to speak at this conference. It was a special vehicle. It was, in fact, it was a special van. The van literally had no driver's seat there because he drove from a wheelchair. He was a paraplegic and pastoring an amazing church there in the Midwest. The car, the van was fitted for him that he could, with his hands, because he had no use of his legs, he could begin to control the gas and the brake and steer as this man picked me up. And so I asked him, I said, tell me, what, how did this happen? Was this from birth or was it an accident? And to hear this man with no anger, 
but literally just knowing that God has his future and has even blessed them through this to listen to his story. It was, it was him and his son driving to a ministry event one night. His son was driving, fell asleep, and ran it into a, t- ran, ran it into a wall on the side of the road. The son came out fine, but immediately his dad, who was the pastor of the church, became a paraplegic. Can you imagine what goes on, both the pastor, the father, and the son at that moment there? Talk about a relationship that's, that, that you're going, we, this may be a fight that's going on, but it's worth the fight. See, there are times I think that God makes me really, really angry. But the defect, not because there's a defect in him, but there's a defect in me. Because I want answers, and God is, is going, just trust, sit still, and trust the engineer. It's not he has the defect, it's God getting at something in me. Tim, sit still. This is a dark tunnel. Tim, trust the engineer. You were going to get through this tunnel. See, it's just that God, the defect in me is God becomes the target in these kind of times. He becomes the target of my frustration. In fact, when we suffer and go through pain, we want sometimes someone to blame. And the first person on the list or public enemy number one to us is God. Where are you, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why is all this going on here? And it's something that we all face. When we're going through difficult times, the first person in the crosshairs is God himself. Some years ago, there was a movie that Jim Carrey starred in called Bruce Almighty. It was a story where Morgan Freeman is playing God. Bruce is going through all these difficult times, has a belief in God, but now getting angry with God because just like we're talking about, he's in his relationship with God is in a fight. It's not that there's a defect in God. There's a defect in us. And the movie plays this out. In fact, Jim Carrey portrays the television reporter named Bruce Nolan. And Bruce is a man who's constantly complaining about God. And at one point, I want you to see this prayer that he prays. At one point, he prays this prayer that some people are going like, oh, that's sacrilegious. Just listen to the prayer. He goes, God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass. And I'm the ant, I feel like. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to. But he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. Think about that. Because some people are going like, wow, is that what he said? It's funny because the movie goes on as he's complaining. Morgan Freeman, who plays God, shows up and says, Bruce, you really don't understand the full story here. In fact, to prove to Bruce that he knows that he knows what he's doing, God offers Bruce the opportunity to be God for a few weeks. And literally, you watch him become overwhelmed as he finally at the end realizes that God does know what he's doing. See, Jim Carrey's prayer in that movie doesn't bother me because that's the way people in the Bible prayed when they were going through that dark tunnel. That's what they expressed. This isn't just Hollywood. This is what the Bible begins to speak about. I, I started to think how unpolished and raw Bible people talked with God, listen, when they were frustrated with him. Can I just show you a couple of them? That these are raw. Talk about the anthill prayer from Bruce Almighty. Listen to some of these from people that are righteous and godly people. Here's Job's prayer. Listen to this. Job prays, I hate my life. 
Oh, leave me alone for these few remaining days that I have. What is mere man that you should spend your time persecuting him? Must you be in his, be his inquisitor every morning and test him every moment of the day? He says, he goes on to say in, in verse 20, he says, why won't you leave me alone? Even long enough to spit, he says, has my sin harmed you? Oh, God, watcher of mankind, why have you made me your target and made my life so heavy a burden? This is Job's prayer of what he's saying. Listen to what David said. David's prayer is incredible. David says this in Psalm 13, one through two. He goes, how long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you look the other way when I'm in need? How long must I be hiding daily in anguish in my heart? This is David. How about this one? This is Moses in Numbers 11, 11. He says, why do you treat your servants so badly? Some of you are, are gasping, but these are, this is David. This is Moses. This is Job. And how about Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, 46? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen carefully. These verses are all prayers, which means these people are talking to God. And in fact, they're being real with God. That's what's amazing about these prayers. This isn't a movie. This isn't a script. These are prayers that are even involved in our Bible. And there is something about these prayers, listen to me close, that doesn't seem to drive God from them it seems to bring God closer to them. Do you know when you go to the doctor, you never show the doctor where the healthy parts are. You tell the doctor where the parts are that hurt. And that's exactly what these prayers are. They're going to the great physician and they're not saying I'm healthy here. They're going, this is where it hurts God. This is where I'm having trouble. This is why I feel angry with you. This is why I feel disappointed with you. This is why I even feel frustrated with you. Why pretend with the God who knows everything? Why pretend to hide hurts and wounds? He knows it. Why not begin to go, God, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm, I'm I feel let down by you. I feel even disappointed with you. I, I think this is so important of where we're at even as a country and even where some of you are at even as a Christian. Because I think, there is a book of the Bible that I want to walk you through today. Three chapters that have a profound message that shows you this journey that somebody has that is frustrated with God. God shows up like Morgan Freeman speaks and then you're going to watch a frustrated man that works for God come out on the other side of the tunnel going, I'm glad I sat and I'm glad I was still and I trusted the engineer. Three chapters, two of those chapters are a dark tunnel. And then when he gets to chapter number three, the light shows up. It's exactly what happens because you can't have a relationship without any fights, but you can make a relationship really worth the fight. See, your relationship with God is worth the fight, even when God becomes really confusing. And that's what makes this so important. And there is a prophet, there is a man in the Old Testament that wrote out his dark tunnel journey. He writes, he writes out what it was like to go into the tunnel, to sit, let the engineer guide him and get out on the other side. This man's name is Habakkuk. 
Now, some of you who may be new Christians may not have heard that name before. In fact, it's a book of the Bible. Let me, let me make it more confusing. It's between Nahum and Zephaniah. And some of you are going like, that really doesn't help me at all. But this book, especially where we're at as a country, where we're at as a church, where we are from pandemic to civil unrest, this book has something to speak to us today. And I think this is so important. His book is part of what is called the 12 minor prophets. It doesn't mean they're minor in message. It just means they're minor. They're not as big as the, as the major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, and even Daniel. And they're called minor only because of, of simply the size of the books. What makes this my favorite minor prophet is you are going to hear from chapter one, his Bruce Almighty prayer, his anthill prayer. And like Morgan Freeman, God, God shows up in chapter two. And then chapter three, the train comes out of the tunnel. And there is a profound principle here. And these three chapters are going to take us on that journey that I think is so important. Habakkuk, listen to me now, is a great book for what we are facing. It's a great book. It starts with the question. God shows up, gives him a challenge. And then all of a sudden, he comes out on the other side. Here, let, me, let me just give it to you like this. Just jot this down on a phone or a piece of paper. This is Habakkuk's journey. And these, and these three things are going to go right along with the chapters. Habakkuk's journey starts off first with his complaint. Then you're going to hear his challenge from God. And then you're going to see the change. This is profound what, what happens to this man. And I, I believe it can liberate us today in what, where we are. So let's walk through this for just a few moments. I, I want to take just a few minutes with each one of these. So here's the first one. Let's take chapter one, Habakkuk one, and let's talk about his complaint. In fact, what Habakkuk does, he puts into words what some of, our, some of us are feeling today in the 21st century. I, I want to read it out of a paraphrased version because this prophet of God has seemingly has a big problem with his employer. He is, he is asking God, since you're my employer, for you, since you're my supervisor, you're my boss, who, ha, who is God to him, is now he's having a problem with. He's feeling angry, confused, but is willing to, to, to have the fight, willing to work this out, willing to, have, to, to ask God the questions and not just bow out, but says this relationship with God is worth the fight. Let me read to you and just think for a moment what we're faced with today. And I want you to hear the prayer of this man. This is profound. Listen to these words starting in verse 1. He says, the problem, as God gave Habakkuk to see it. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face uh, day after day? He says in verse four, why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day, anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights are all over the place. Then he says, law and order are falling to pieces. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. He says in verse 13, but you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. So why don't you do something about this? Why are you silent? This outrage, 
evil men swallow up the righteous and you stand around and watch and then ends the chapter with this, these words. Are you going to let this go on and on? Guys, this is the prophet saying these things. This is his prayer. Chapter one is literally the Bruce Almighty prayer. This is his, his complaint to God as he's crying out. In fact, I see three things he's complaining about, which really begins to speak to what, what I hear people complaining about today. Habakkuk complains about the slowness of God in verse two. He begins to complain about the silence of God, that he's not speaking to it. He also complains about suffering with God existing and saying, how do these things even coincide? Think about this. He says, he speaks about God's slowness, complains about God's slowness, and basically saying this, what's taking you so long here? That's, that's, his, that's his frustration. He's frustrated not only with his slowness, but with his silence. Why isn't anything happening? Why, why, why is things just keep going on? Injustice keep continuing to happen. And then he goes, then I have a problem with suffering. God's existence with suffering happening, coinciding together. Basically, it's this. He says, don't you even care, God, for what's happening? Why? And, and, and here is what he's dealing with. But it's not just Habakkuk. And it's not just us today. But men and women, even throughout history, when I was reading about Martin Luther going through the Reformation, there were moments that he went into his dark tunnel. And while he was even in the tunnel, I was reading in his journal, he said that one night he wrote in his journal these words, God, where are you? Are you dead? That's what he was faced. This man that was going to begin to bring the Reformation this man that God was going to use in the 16th century comes to his tunnel in his life going, where are you? I, I, I love the words that G.K. Chesterton reminds us. Listen to these words. He says this, when belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. And then he says this, but in heaven's name to what? What, what are we going to run to when all of a sudden the tunnel gets dark? Where are we going to go? That's the challenge for all of us. Something inside of us wants to run away. But here's the thing I want you to get. God was about to fix what was going on. The engineer was about to speak to it, to speak to the complaint, to speak to the frustration, to speak to the prophet's anger. And I think even today he may be speaking to you. You're going, man, those words, that complaint of Habakkuk, man, that's me. I felt that. I felt that what I see around, I feel like that from quarantine to the protests, I feel that way. There's some people that are upset that going like, why aren't we in church? Why can't we do this? All, all these things. And the complaint comes, God, you're slow. God, you're silent. Why is there suffering? All those coming up, but God is about to fix it. But here's what's interesting. What is it? What is the it? This is going to surprise you that God is going to fix because God is going to fix it and fix the complaint. God was going to fix something, which was the challenge you're going to see in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk 2 now starts the engineers starting to speak to him while they're in the tunnel. This is so important. This is the challenge. In fact, in chapter 2 verse 1, you see these words. What's God going to say? This is what it opens up with. What is God going to say to my questions? I've got questions of what's going on. You have questions today of what's happening. Even maybe you as a father, you're asking, you're going, God, where are you? I prayed for my children. I've asked, I've asked you to do this for my daughter. 
who is just, who has left our home, who's broken our hearts. I, I, I don't know what to do. Are you going to answer my questions? And what God speaks is profound. Remember, when you receive those prayers from Job, from David, from Moses in the Old Testament, the, these, these complaints were prayers and it didn't drive God from, from him. It really brought God closer. And that's exactly what happens in Habakkuk. God doesn't go, who do you think you are questioning me? God goes, this is an honest man. This is somebody who's asking honest questions. And God draws closer, so close that he begins to speak. Listen to the words of God and what he says, starting in verse three. This is how God answers the question. These, but these things I plan won't happen right away. But what he's saying is I'm about to do something, but it's not going to happen right away. The tunnel is still, it's going to be dark for a little bit. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. And then he says, if it seems slow, don't despair. For these things will surely come to pass. And then he says to Habakkuk, just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. He says, these things are going to happen. <laughs> this, in fact, what, what happens here is so important because this is so good because it gets ready in verse four to tell him this. He says, but note this. Wicked men trust themselves alone as these Chaldeans do. That's what he was complaining about, and they fail. But the righteous man will trust in me, and he will live. See, verse 4, and we'll get to this in a, in, in a moment, is the secret on how we live while we're waiting for God to come and do something, for God to show up. Verse 4 is the key in the waiting moment. In fact, what God says is he says, I need you just to wait. It'll become, it won't be overdue. It'll be right on time, but you're going to have to wait. I don't know if you're like me. I hate waiting. I hate, there, there are moments I've had to go to the grocery store for Cindy and for our family to buy things. And if I know the express line is 12 items or less, I will put away items just so I can go through the express line because I don't want to wait at Target or wherever store we're going to because I want, I want to get through quickly. I want to get through I don't want there to be any waiting. You know what it's like. We're waiting in line. We're waiting in traffic. We're waiting on hold. We're waiting in a doctor's office. We're waiting for a doctor's call or report. We're waiting to hear from a client. We're waiting to hear from a professor of a test grade. But what makes it the hardest is when we're waiting, waiting on God to do what he says he's going to do. Let me give you a personal note here for just a second, thinking through this. Remember what Jesus told the, the disciples in the upper room? He says, I want you to wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Wait in the upper room. You know what's interesting? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, when Jesus rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says he addressed 500 people. It gives that number. But when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, there's only 120 in the upper room. Think, think of this for a moment. Resurrected Jesus speaks to 500 after the resurrection. But when the Holy Spirit comes, there's only 122. He, here's, here's the question. Where were the other 380? They didn't want to wait. 
they, they liked hearing and seeing the immediate resurrected Jesus. But to wait, to wait in an upper room for those days, to wait for that, that's the danger. That's what we face. See, and I think people, people who hate to wait will miss what God wants to do and sometimes the surprise of God when he shows up, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God's going, there's a bigger picture that's happening here. There's a bigger thing that I'm doing. But what you're doing is instead of playing long ball, you're playing short ball and you only see this little thing and God's going, do you understand where I'm at? As, as king of the universe who sits on a throne on high, I don't just see what, what you're faced with. I see the whole picture from beginning to end. A few years ago, there was a TV ad that started like this. Listen, listen to this. The ad started, there was a woman sitting in a car. She was minding her own business. And suddenly, while she's sitting there, looking on her phone, waiting in a, in a, in a stopped car, this man comes up, rips open the door, drags this woman out and drags her along the ground, roughly. It looks like he's attacking her. And we're looking at a commercial in horror. Then all of a sudden, as we're watching this play out for this commercial, the camera pulls back and we actually see that the back of the car, without this woman knowing, the back of her car was on fire. And what was happening was the man wasn't assaulting her. The man was actually rescuing her because she wasn't paying attention. And then the ad finishes by saying these words. Sometimes you need the bigger picture. That's what Channel 10 News does. Gives you the bigger picture. That's what God is doing in the back of chapter 2. He's going, what you see is chapter 1 is you see something happening roughly. A door ripping open. Someone pulling the, uh, that, uh, a woman from a car. He says, but what we're going to start to do Habakkuk, we're going to start to bring the camera out and you're going to start to see that there is a bigger picture here. And this verse, chapter 4, 2, 4, is so important. In fact, it's so important that God saw fit to quote this in three, time, three times in the New Testament. He says, I can't leave it here because you're, the people are going to need these words and he puts it in Romans, he puts it in Galatians, and he puts it in Hebrews. In fact, these words are so important, he says, I can't leave it just for your situation. But these are gonna be, this is gonna be words that people are gonna need for whatever they're going through in their life. Whether it's in the 21st century of what we're facing here right now presently as a people, as Christians, as a church, or it's gonna have to be for Martin Luther through the Reformation as he's going through his dark tunnel. It's gonna be words that we're gonna have to live by. These words are so profound. God goes, I've gotta put it at different spots of the New Testament because these are gonna be words that you're gonna need. Here it is, listen to this. It's Habakkuk 2.4. This is what God says. The just, look at these words. The just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. Those, those are the words that God says, I can't leave them stuck in Habakkuk 2.4. I got to get them to Romans. I got to get them to Galatians. I got to get them into Hebrews. See, I want, I want to read, I, I want to read this to you, even for what all, all, the original Hebrew says, and this is profound. Listen to these words um, 
that is translated in the original Hebrew. The verse translates to this. The just shall live by his faithfulness. Pause for a second. The just, the people of God, the ones that are complaining, the chapter one dark tunnel that have to sit still and trust the engineer, those people, the Jobs, the Moses, the Davids, you that are watching today, the confused Christians watching injustice happening around them, the just shall live by his faithfulness. That's why, that's why Greg even reminded us when he sang the, the song, great is your faithfulness. Sometimes we, we say those words and we don't even under, understand what we're saying. Can, can I give you the simplest definition of faithfulness? Faithfulness simply means consistency. It's God's consistency. It's what God does. It's his nature, his character that just doesn't change. Faithfulness means consistency. God is consistent. He's always the same. He never changes. And the just, the Christian, the woman of God that's watching, the man of God, the father that's watching has to begin to whisper the words today. I live. I live. The just. I am, I am just before you, God. I live. Listen to this. According to your faithfulness. Because you are consistent. Because you are faithful. Think, think how important this is. God's consistency allows me to continue to live when everything and everyone around me is inconsistent. Wow. That's exactly where we're living today. Everything is inconsistent. You don't know what can take place. As soon as you catch your breath on one thing, another thing happens. God's consistency allows me to continue to live day by day when everything and everyone around me is inconsistent. God being absolutely the same yesterday, today, and forever is what allows me to wake up every single morning. The, 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 the big theological word of that, we call that the immutability of God. That's your big word for today. It means the God who doesn't change, who's always the same. And faith, faith lives by his faithfulness. See, what we're saying is, is that God loves me even if everyone rejects me because his love for me never changes. Think about that. God loves me even if people around me reject me, regardless of why they reject me because his love, his consistency, his faithfulness never changes. I was reading this story. It's somewhat emotional when you think about it. Um, Thomas Edison told the story on how he became such an incredible inventor. We, we are able, uh, things that he started the path of inventing, um, when you think about it, is why we're even able to use technology and some of the things that we're using today is because of the genius and the gift that Thomas Edison had. But let, me, let me just retell his story for just a moment. When young Tom returned home from school, this is from his biography one day, um, his mother noticed he had a piece of paper in his hand and he told her it was a note from his teacher and she was the only one that was allowed to read it. When she did, she grew tearful. He watched tears come down his mom's eyes as young Tom gave her the note. When Tom asked his mom, she said, Tom, this is what your teacher wrote. Your teacher wrote, your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have enough of good teachers to train him. You're going to have to teach him yourself. And from that point on, 
Edison's mom removed him from the school and Thomas Edison became self-taught. She allowed him to curiously pursue things that interested him and he devoured it. Many, many, many years later, after his mom died, Thomas Edison was rummaging through her belongings and came across that very note that his teacher sent home with Thomas that day. When he read it, he not only was stunned, but Thomas Edison couldn't control himself and started crying. Let me read to you what the note actually said. This is what his teacher wrote. Your son is mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. We don't have the teachers to handle him. You're going to have to teach him yourself. That's what the note said. Edison wept and wept for hours since that time and gave his mother the credit for cultivating his genius as an inventor. She saw something in her boy that no one else did. And when she read and what she read, that note ultimately led to the result that Thomas had to learn at home. But what was behind it meant everything to him because he said someone believed in me at that point. Always remember this. Listen, listen. God approved of you before anybody else got a chance to disapprove of you. Hallelujah. God approved of you before anybody else got a chance chance to disapprove of you. God loves you because God is faithful, because God is consistent. You can live today. It doesn't matter who rejected you or why they rejected you. We are told by Habakkuk in the middle of the tunnel, in the middle of the darkness that he is going through, the just you people of God are going to live because God is consistent. What is he consistent about? He is consistent with this. And I want you to get this because this is our challenge. He says the challenge is not only for Habakkuk, but the challenge is for us today. My challenge is to trust God's timing and trust God's consistency. That's what he was saying. God was speaking that to him. You've got to trust that I'm consistent, that I'm not going to let injustice go on, but you have to trust my timing. It's not your timing. God goes, it's my timing. You have to trust me in this. This is the part that it's okay and it's worth the fight with God. But here's where it all changes. Habakkuk chapter one, that's the complaint. Habakkuk chapter two, it was his challenge. Will you trust me? Will you trust my consistency and will you trust my timing? But let's close with this. Habakkuk 3 was his change. This is what changes everything in this whole narrative. This is where it all comes to part. The prophet starts his book, starts his writing. Think about this, complaining. Here's the complaint of Habakkuk. And he's going to end it very differently. Something happens to him. And here it is. Listen to these words. Even though the fig trees are all destroyed... There's neither blossom left nor fruit, though the olive crops all fail and the fields lie barren. Even if the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Listen to this. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be happy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will give me the speed of a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. (laughs) What in the world happened between Habakkuk 1-2, the complaint, and Habakkuk 3-18, his change? What, What happened? Here's what's amazing. 
None of this man's circumstances changed. You ready for this? None of Habakkuk's circumstances changed, but his view of God changed. This, this is revolutionary. This is, this is profound. This is what we need for today. This is what changes everything. His view of God changed. The very thing Habakkuk complained about, you ready for this? He can still complain about. The very things he brought up in chapter one, he can still complain about. The basis for all of his complaints are still there. The injustices are still present. Nothing happened, nothing changed, except his understanding of God, except he started to understand God better. And see, we think sometimes we need stuff to change in order to worship God, to trust God, to believe in God. We think we need everything to get fixed before we'll even take that journey. And that's not what Habakkuk's journey is telling us. Joy is not based on life going good. Joy is based on God is good. Listen to me. If God doesn't change, then my worship doesn't change. If God doesn't change, then I, worship, I can worship when it's difficult. I can worship in a pandemic. I can worship when there's unrest all over our cities in America. This is what I learned. God is consistent. God is consistent, though my life is not. If there's one thing I can hold to, it's God's consistency. Or, like we're told in 2.4, the just shall live by his faithfulness. Are you asking for things to change? Then you'll trust God, believe in God. Your life's going to be a roller coaster then. I'm just telling you. It's just, it goes up and down. This is what we all face. Are you looking like Habakkuk for the figs and the olives and the cattle for everything to be all together? Are you waiting for a job and a pay raise and a promotion and healing? A husband, a wife to get pregnant before you get serious about God? Are you waiting for things to change in our government, things to change before you begin to go, that now God exists? God is not changing. He's the same. It's the challenge is to trust his timing and his consistency. That's why praise and singing means nothing if, if we can only praise him when the cattle is, is healthy and everything is together and all, every, everyone in my house is good and all my kids texted me today about happy Father's Day, then I can go ahead and praise him. That's not what Habakkuk said. God goes, he tells, God tells him, he says, you can live according to my faithfulness because I'm consistent because everyone in your life are going to find out that people are going to be inconsistent from, from Washington, D.C. all the way down to the child in your home Every, one of the, every human is inconsistent, but there's one that I live by and his consistency or his faithfulness. I praise God because he's God, not because I have all my stuff together. That's why I think what sums this up is what Paul told the young pastor, Timothy, who didn't know what was going on and facing all these things happening in his church and, and, and encouraging Timothy. Timothy, you're battling sickness. Timothy, you're battling a false doctrine in church. Timothy, you're battling in Ephesus, a really difficult place. And Timothy, you seem to be vacillating. You seem to be getting fearful. That's when he writes to him that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And here is what, here is what he tells him. Because he really, he's going to give him his 2-4, his Habakkuk 2-4 message. But he uses different words. Listen to what he says to Timothy. He says these words. He says, Timothy, if we are not faithful, <laughs> hallelujah, he will still be faithful. 
Christ cannot deny who he is. You're going to get through the tunnel. Sit still and let the engineer guide this thing. That's what he was telling him. That's that even when I'm not faithful, my unfaithfulness, my complaints, my challenge, my Job prayer, my Moses prayer, my David prayer doesn't change his faithfulness. My Habakkuk complaint doesn't change the consistency of God. God is faithful. It was just getting Habakkuk to see the one who's always consistent, always faithful, and doesn't change. I was, when I got married to Cindy, over 20 years ago, we're approaching our 25th anniversary. I remember her bringing a dog into our marriage, and it was, it was amazing to hear how she brought this dog through training school. And she said, one of the things that she could put down a piece of food or something and tell the dog to stay. And it was interesting. She said, notice what the dog does. It'll always look at its master. Because if it looks down at what it's not supposed to touch or what's supposed to go after, it'll begin to go after it every single time. But what they teach that dog is to keep looking at the master. They teach the dog, look at the voice, look at the master, look at the one who is in charge. Keep your eyes on the owner. Keep your eyes on your owner. He's not changing. Listen to his voice. And I can tell you, you can make it through this life. When though it doesn't matter what's all down here. You can make it through this life is if your eyes are on the master. Your eyes are on the owner. Your eyes are on faithful God, faithful Jesus. You can make it through. The problem is, is that the tunnel, the darkness, and the complaints come when we start looking over here and we take our eyes off him. The only, that not only gets us through life, but listen to me, it gets us to heaven by setting our eyes upon him. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? I, I want you to understand that God doesn't want to just get you through life and through all the inconsistencies of life. God doesn't want to just be with you down here, God wants to be with you forever. God is preparing heaven for you. God wants to change you from the inside out, but he's got to set our eyes upon him. Let me, let me ask you the most important question anyone can ever ask you, because this is, this is something that really is going to let you know, are your eyes upon him? And it's the question of, have you been born again? That, that, that means, have you looked to him? Have you looked to his faithfulness, his consistency? Pastor Tim, it's so hard with everything going on down here, but this is what I'm telling you, to look at his consistency, to look at his faithfulness. God's love for you has not changed. God's plan for you has not changed. God's way to get to heaven has not changed. In fact, he tells us in John chapter 3, Verse three, Jesus said, and remember, he's absolutely consistent, absolutely consistent that what he said 2,000 years ago is still true today. He says this, no man, no woman can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, who does not lie, spoke those words. If I was to ask you today, how do you, how do you get to heaven? 
we, we've sometimes taken our eyes off Jesus and what he said and what he has spoken, his consistent words, and we look back down over here. We're going, well, I was water baptized or I go to church or I'm a good person. Um, I, have, I have been dedicated. I have I've, um, uh, been confirmed. I've gone to the synagogue. Those, those are all good things, but that's not what Jesus said. Well, then, Pastor Tim, what does being born again mean? Because Jesus says, you must, John 3, 5, you must be born again. I, I, wanna, I want you to get this because this is the most important thing I can ever tell you and leave you with today. This is how you get through the tunnel of life. This is how you get not only through the dark tunnel like Habakkuk went through and all the people of God go through because you sit still and trust the engineer, but listen to me close. There's another dark tunnel coming that every one of us is going to face is death. But I'm here to tell you on the other side of that is heaven. And the way we get through that is we have to be born again. Well, how does that happen, Pastor Tim? How, how do I become born again? I'll explain every single time on how important this is by making it as simple as I can, by just saying it's as simple as A, B, C. A, B, and C. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's me getting honest with God that all of us, starting with me, have a condition from the day we're born called sin. And it can't be fixed with a promise, a pastor, a priest, even a program. We need help to fix it. We need God to fix it. And that's exactly what he has done. Because I'm broken from the inside out. The diagnosis is sin. And I have to start by admitting, that's the A, that I'm a sinner. One pastor said it like this. We're not mistakers that need correction. We are sinners that need a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. That's what born again is. And how does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B. That's the believe word. It's, it's believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. I can't fix myself. I can't get myself together. I can't get me to heaven. I can't. I can't be good enough to get there Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And today you can be forgiven of your sins. If we could fix ourselves and God putting his son through the suffering he went through would be absolutely ridiculous. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then why would Jesus ever have to come and die on the cross for me? Jesus' death was Jesus being my sin bearer, him taking my place. It was, it was Jesus dying the death that I deserved, that I should have died. He lived the life that I was supposed to live but couldn't live. And it's him giving me a reward called heaven that I don't even deserve. But today, not only you can be changed. Listen to me, fathers. This may literally change your whole household. You may be the one, just like Noah was. We talked about that at the very beginning. And I don't want you to miss the C word, which is confess. It's admit that I'm a sinner, broken on the inside. B, believing that Jesus died for me. But C, confessing him as Lord. God did not send Jesus to come down here for 33 years to do miracles, die on the cross, raise from the dead, and simply to get you to go to church on a Sunday. Do you actually think he says, I've gone through all this because I want you to sit in your church for an hour or an hour and a half every single Sunday? Jesus didn't come to get an hour and a half from your life. He came so your whole life would be taken over by him. That's called a relationship. Going to church simply is a religion. That's, 
That's not why he came. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to have a relationship with you. See, Christianity is not coming to a place. Listen, it's coming to a person. And the person now in charge, Romans 10, 9, and 10, is Jesus himself. That word actually means boss. You're in charge now. When I'm, when I'm in that dark tunnel, Habakkuk 1, the engineer just says, sit still and trust me. Then I'm going to do that. Trust me that you can live by my faithfulness. I'm trusting him. I'm confessing you as the one in charge. You're steering this train now. And that means Habakkuk 3, if nothing changes, I can trust in the one that will never change. I, I, I want you to do something with me. Because just as you had a first birth, all of us that, that are here on planet Earth, we need a second birth to get to heaven, to receive forgiveness. I want to challenge you today. If you're listening, if you're by yourself, if you're with your family, I don't care if, if you're in elementary school and I don't care if you're watching and listening from um, assisted living. It doesn't matter how old you are. God's love for you hasn't changed. No matter what you've done. He is faithful. When, all of the, when everyone around you has disapproved of you, God has approved of you. He loves you so much. That's why he came and died for you. And if you're here today, just as you have a birth date, you need a second birth date, and today can be that day. Would you do me a favor, wherever you're at, close your eyes and pray a prayer with me, a born-again prayer. It's not the prayer that changes you, but it's you. It's coming from your heart to go, God, I want you to change me from the inside out. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me, and I confess you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, if you're able to right now, if you may be able to whisper the words. You may be able to say them out loud. Maybe you have to say them in your mind because you're in a place that, that, that with headphones on and um, whatever that is. I want, I want you to confess them as Lord. I, w- I want to pray with you today. Would you just say these words with me? If you can, close your eyes. Whisper these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt And you died for it. You faced hell for me. So I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead. To give me a place in heaven. A purpose on earth. And a relationship with your father. Today Lord Jesus. I turn from my sin. To be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.